0: Uh,
1: Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Michelle.
0: <laughs> and I'm Lucy. And we have no idea how to start these special episodes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Today, it's a special episode. Yeah, and we're floundering about already. <laughs> Today, we're doing La Morte d'Arthur. All oh, right,
1: right, right. And I don't right. know why it's
0: called La Morte d'Arthur, because obviously it's the life of Arthur. <laughs> he doesn't die till the end. I don't think I'm giving too much oh. away when I say he no. doesn't die till the end. <laughs> But it's always called the death of Arthur, so...
1: And this you know. is not Prince Arthur, this is King Arthur.
0: This is King Arthur, yeah, yes. the, once, once and future king.
1: <laughs> that never
0: happened. <laughs> oh, well, don't say that around here. You've got Glastonbury just up the road.
1: <laughs> okay, well, the future ha- king has not happened yet. No, no, well, we have a... We got a new king yesterday. Yes, we so did, and I watched it. Oh, no, did you? Oh. Yes, I did mostly because I've never seen it before and they no are still doing <laughs> Well anybody who watched my my grandmother watched Queen Elizabeth's uh. coronation cuz she was in England at the time and she remembered huddling around in one person's living room cuz only one person on the in the neighborhood had a TV Yeah to watch the Queen's coronation. Now she got to watch the King's coronation. (laughs) But she was really excited to see it again. And it was neat watching the medieval portions. Yeah.
0: Yes. Mm. Really enjoyed that. Must admit, I didn't watch it. I did listen to a bit on the radio because they did have some rather beautiful music. uh... Yes, they do.
1: Um, You can watch parts of it on YouTube. So if you get to watch where Charles is putting on the medieval cloth of gold robe. It's not a Mm. robe. I can't remember what they called it. (laughs) And the sword and everything. But Queen Camilla looked terrified when they were about to put the crown on her head. Just the expression on her face was, I am not okay.
0: (laughs) uh. I mean, what, what happens if you suddenly have a panic attack and something like that?
1: Well, she kept moving her hands and stuff. She's not supposed to touch the ground. I'm like, I know what you're supposed to do. Just sit, calm. Mm. They've got it. You're good. I <laughs> <laughs> you almost wanted to hold her hand. Oh, oh, but it was neat. T- terrifying. Being in front of that many people, knowing it was televised globally, mm. and that they had watching parties in Canada, it's funny how... Some people are like, we need to get rid of the monarchy for Canada. And yet we had huge neighbourhood and city parties for it. And people were watching it. So, I don't know, half and half. I've noticed a few
0: villages around here have kicked off quite early and put all their bunting up and everything. Yes. But our village, our Republican village, doesn't seem to do anything. <laughs> I love our village because it just steps out of everything. <laughs> it says,
1: no, nothing to do with us. No, nope, <laughs> no. Calm blue ocean. They can do it over there. <laughs> yeah. yep. Right.
0: Anyway, but Arthur. Yes. I'm surprised we don't come across more Arthurs and Tristrams and
1: Lancelots in the people we we do. True, considering how popular it is. Well, we have Prince Arthur. Yeah, but he's the only one. Well, we do know Prince... John killed his nephew, who could have been King Arthur. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's true. Well, supposedly he killed his nephew. It's another uncle and nephew who could it have been?
0: (laughs) He's not in a position to sue, so I think we're all right. (laughs) Well, I was wondering if, unless you're trying to point to a chivalric family tree to bolster your tenuous grasp on the throne, you'd probably tend to go more for biblical names, which is what people do anyway, isn't it? Yes. Uh, at this time. Yes. Anyway, why are we doing an episode on Lamorte Data? Well, three reasons. Well, four reasons, actually. One is that I read it and it seemed a bit of a waste <laughs> not to do an episode <laughs> on it. <laughs> the other reason is it was published by Caxton in 1485. So mm. it just sneaks into our time zone. Yes. It was written before, and its author, Sir Thomas Mallory, was already dead by this point. But if we go with the publishing date, it just fits in nicely. Perfect. The second reason that we thought we'd look at chivalry as it was at this time, which is medieval chivalry, sort of bloody and brutal and thoroughly yes. nasty.
1: And it's the reason that Henry VII named his son Arthur. Mm. And we'll look at it again next season. In
0: Henry VIII's time, when it's all been considerably oh, yes. sanitised, yes. Thirdly, it was—it's been a very influential book across the centuries. Yes. I know T. E. Lawrence took a copy on his Arabian campaign, and everyone's heard of Arthur and Lancelot and Merlin, mm-hmm. and they've heard of him, heard of them through this book. Yeah, Arthur was obviously a big name in Henry VII's reign because why would he have called his elder son Arthur and insisted that he be born in Winchester? Because as propaganda, it wouldn't have worked unless everyone was familiar with the story.
1: Yes, very true.
0: Which they were. And also, they obviously felt that Arthur was someone worth emulating. And Henry the seventh deliberately took the standard of the, of the red dragon dreadful. And that's the dragon of whales. And I think the dreadful bit means it's sort of doing the... Grrr.
1: Dangerous.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Like a, like a cat begging for treats. Yes. The cat begging for treats, no, yes. it's, well, it's a begging for treats
1: is called um, Lion Rampant.
0: But also, it comes from an incident in Mallory's book where Arthur had a dream about a dragon fighting a boar, and the dragon oh. wins, so obviously that fits in quite nicely. Yes, it does. When, when Prince Henry met Philip the Fair, he thought to impress him by boasting, you know, I'm descended from King Arthur, you know. oh I don't know how impressed he was by this, or whether he <laughs> thought, oh, I don't think you are. I don't think you are. <laughs> Because we're very keen to see the Tudors as presaging the the modern age, but it was much more useful to Henry the Seventh in his bid for legitimacy to show himself as the latest in a long line stretching back through
1: history. Yes, I am legitimate.
0: Yeah, and I've I've can prove it from over centuries. Yes, I'm not going to tell the story of Arthur. You'll <laughs> be glad to hear. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be here for a long, long time.
1: How many hours would that be? After listening to so many Audible, it'd probably be a twelve hour podcast
0: to read the book. Oh, whole. and the rest. And the rest I think it's yes. quite a long book. Yes. Hmm. Well, if you want to know the story, read it. It's very enjoy- enjoyable once you get your ear tuned to the prose. Mm. And if you think you know the story, you probably know the first few pages and the last few, since that's where all the famous stuff happens. Oh. That's what I that's what I found anyway. Oh. Two people who you'd think would be central to the book, Merlin and Morgan Le Fay, disappear very early on. Really? Yeah. I was reading about halfway through and I suddenly thought, where's Merlin gone? (laughs) He's really disappeared. Yeah. He's not a major figure in the book. He appears right at the beginning and then
1: goes. And yet he's one of the most famous parts of that book. Yes. Well, he's one yep. of the most famous parts of film of the p- films of that book. Yes. And even Morgan Le Fay sort of disappears quite often. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Huh. Yep. There's quite a lot that surprised me in this book. I would recommend leaving out the middle bit since it starts to sag once they go on to the quest for the Holy Grail. But you do sort of need the middle bit to see Lancelot's character arc. Uh, and that made that made it feel quite a modern book since we see Lancelot change through self-realisation. Oh, because you don't expect a character arc from a medieval book, right? Not I don't at all. Because you don't get that in fairy stories. At the end, the main character is often richer. Sometimes they did become richer and then sank back to where they started, but they don't change psychologically. No. Whereas Lancelot not only changes, but he, he's flawed. He tries to change, fails, and then tries again. That's neat. Yeah. That's why I enjoyed this book so much, because I kept thinking, oh no, wasn't it? As uh, Ali Rex Rexfactor would say, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> so I say we're going to look at courtly love and chivalry. And I assumed before I read it that that was what the book was all about. But in fact, in La Mort d'Arthur, we see it failing, which is much more interesting. Yeah. So we can see the ideal through the way Mallory shows us the opposite. Because he's more interested in how it's an impossible creed to live by. And in the early Chrétien de Troyes version, Lance, Lancelot finds Guinevere's comb and worships the golden hairs in it. You don't get any of that schmaltzy nonsense with, Mal- with Valerie. <laughs> okay. He's much more down to earth, I think, than a few of the others who've done this before. So wait, Guinevere is a blonde? Golden
1: hairs, it says. Yes, but... Ah, for some reason in my head, she had dark hair. Well, I don't know.
0: Obviously, people make her how they want her, don't they? Yes. And Chrétien de Troyes obviously had a thing for golden hair. Okay. Yeah, Mallory points out that the chivalric knight is meant to be loyal to three separate and sometimes incompatible parties: God, their king, and their lady love. Mm. And we see all three in different people because Galahad puts God at the top of his list. Gawain is most loyal to Arthur. And Lancelot is most loyal to Guinevere. But try juggling all three at once, and it all goes horribly wrong. Right. Because the story starts with the round table being based on fellowship, and by the end, it's completely fragmented with the knights turning on each other and pretty much wiping themselves out.
1: Yeah, this is going forward to like Elizabeth and Mary, where you can't worship God, a different God, and your queen. And that's mm. one of the reasons why that. He ended up with the Protestants being burnt. So it's the same mm. sort of thing. You can't worship. And Thomas More, didn't he say, I am loyal to the king, but I am, my first loyalty is to God? I would have thought so. It sounds like when, the sort of thing he'd say. Yeah, when, I think when he was about to be executed. Well, so it should be, you'd have thought. I mean, the king
0: is God's representative on earth. He should be lower down, surely. Yes. But I'm not quite sure where your lady love fits into all this. It's um, an odd one. Yeah. And this wiping out of the round table is entirely due to the failure of the ideas of courtly love and chivalry. And this could be Mallory reflecting his times because he'd have seen firsthand the break up of England into factions. Right. Because he, he fought in the Wars of the Roses, so... Okay. Yeah. And he cements this by, in his book, there's um, a setting of a battle fought by Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, is in St Albans, where two of the Wars of the Roses took place.
1: Where do they find the time for this? Because writing a book is not a fast process.
0: Well, we're coming to that. When we look at his life, a very short bit of his life, we'll find out why he found time for it.
1: Uh Uh-oh. He's in prison. (laughs) He's in
0: prison. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the knights of the round table talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They talk about the code which includes mercy and Christianity, but in reality they just go in slashing away with their swords for no apparent reason. Yes. It's very much a case of stab first and ask questions later, which is why they're constantly wounding their friends. It's only when they come to take the opponent's helmet off prior to finishing them off when they say... Oh, it's you! Why didn't you say so? Oh, jeez! <laughs> Introduce yourself first. Yes, that's why you have standards. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you want to shake them, really? <laughs> it's time and a time again. They're just trotting through the forest. They come across another knight, and they automatically start fighting. They're like those little roboty things—the <laughs> um, the, the red one, and the, bl- and the blue yeah. one—and <laughs> there's no argument. They aren't on opposing sides or in a battle. I and mean, they just seem to be automatons, you know,
1: see knight, fight knight. That's that's their oh, policy. Jeez, you know what? We should start recording these, <laughs> like video <laughs> recording, because your little hand movements and gestures, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at them.
0: Uh, um, they were sure that just by being knights of the round table, they would go to heaven. And the book seems to go along with that, too. And it's quite a shock for Lancelot to discover that he can't see the Holy Grail because of his sinful life.
1: <laughs> oh, I am so holy. I've done so many bad things, but I am holy.
0: <laughs> well, this, his his sin is a sexual one. Yes. It's loving Guinevere. It's not concerned with all the people he's killed. What? They don't count. They don't no? even count? They don't count.
1: you got to love that Jesus was... So into peace, and hmm. he was honored by everybody going
0: to war about there it. There were only 10 commandments, just <laughs> 10. It just seems so obvious.
1: Unless you've watched the History of the World Part 1 by Mel Brooks.
0: Oh, right.
1: <laughs> there were, I have brought you 15, crash, 10, <laughs> 10 commandments. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Thou shalt Not Murder is still on one of those Ten Commandments. I'm pretty sure it's there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if it isn't, it should be.
0: (laughs) Oh, it is. I know that much about it. Out of the 150 knights who go looking for the Grail, many die in the pursuit. Some, like Lancelot, can't see it. And only three of them, Sir Bors, Sir Percival and Sir Galahad, get to see it in all its glory. And they were all virgins, or maids, as the book says.
1: Oh, jeez. Okay.
0: <laughs> they've killed people, but they've never had sex. Oh, my so, goodness. that's all right, then. Wow. Uh, I really love this. When it, then they come across the Holy Grail. It's on someone's dinner table. People are eating their dinner round. It, <laughs> <laughs> it all seems really domestic. And when uh... Lancelot is looking for it, he goes into a castle and all the doors are open, but one's closed. So in true Bluebeard style, he opens the closed door and it's as if someone's disturbed someone doing something embarrassing because there's a priest and there's several angels and they've got the grail under a cloth. And it's almost <laughs> as if he opens the door and says, oh, I'm terribly sorry, and sort of backs away. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but um, no, he swoons. Oh. You find that everyone swoons all the time in this book. Oh. And some, sometimes there's multiple swoonage. They've just, they've just lifted themselves off the floor and they're down and they again.
1: drop again. <laughs> And they're in armor. Can you imagine the racket? <laughs> Is there a big pause in the dialogue of just a whole bunch of ellipses waiting for them to pick themselves back up?
0: <laughs> like little beetles stuck on their backs. Yeah, you don't see that in all those swashbuckling Arthur movies. Not at all. <laughs> okay, a quick look at Mallory himself. He came from Newbold Revel in Warwickshire. He probably served in France at the latter end of the Hundred Years' War. Um, He was was knighted sometime before 1441. And up to 1450, he held several public offices, including Member of Parliament. Mm. And then it all changed. He's done a bit of a Henry Bodrigan. Uh His life of exemplary service changed to a life of crime. He was charged with attempted assassination, cattle rustling, extortion, breaking into abbeys and rape. Was he in Durham?
1: Speaking of Bishop Fox As long as you just do it to the Scots We'll be fine
0: <laughs> No I think he was down south oh. He was in prison several times And he broke out of prison twice Once swimming the moat And once threatening the guard with a, ma- with a, with a mouse <laughs> Threatening the
1: guard with a, <laughs> with a knife <laughs> We should mention that this is not unusual There were gangs of younger sons That went around doing the same thing Because they couldn't get another income yeah.
0: We don't know where he was in the family because we don't know. I'm about to tell you everything we know about him. It's, <laughs> it's not a lot.
1: We'll assume younger son.
0: His jailers were then told that if they let him go again, they'd incur large penalties. And in two general pardons, he was singled out to be exempted. So
1: yeah, I'm pardoning everyone, Ooh, but not you. You. <laughs> <laughs> you have been exceptionally bad.
0: Yes Well he really had I mean he wrote Le Mort d'Arthur while In prison In 1469-70 to 70, And he died The following year And it may seem odd That he was able To get his hands-on Writing materials And books When he was in Newgate jail No Well some prisoners Were allowed Special privileges Including use of the library Of the adjoining monastery
1: Yeah If they could pay for it
0: Well I don't know What, what, what his financial situation was But anyway That's when Mallory was buried Not in the library I mean in the monastery <laughs>
1: That would be a perfect place for me to be, put to rest. Is it a library? (laughs) I don't think that would be legal, but it would be cool. (laughs) Ask. You can, but ask.
0: (laughs) And this library had been endowed by Dick Whittington of the pantomime fame. I know it doesn't mean anything to anybody outside England, but people in England will know Dick Whittington.
1: I know what pantomime is. (laughs) He's behind
0: you. (laughs) People have been so put out by the gap between the chivalry of the Arthurian legend and the life of thuggery of Thomas Mallory that they've said that he couldn't possibly have written it and have looked for someone better.
1: But it sounds like the Knights of the Round Table
0: were into thuggery. That's what I thought, yes. By today's standards, they are a group of thugs. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The legend of Arthur morphed over the centuries leading up to Mallory. Geoffrey of Monmouth made Arthur a British hero in the 1130s. And by British, I assume he meant Welsh. (laughs) (laughs) He was sure that Arthur had been a real king. And in the 1160s, Chrétien de Troyes brought in Lancelot as the main knight, along with the Lancelot, Guinevere, Arthur, Love Triangle.
1: Oh, so it wasn't in Mallory's book.
0: It is in Mallory's book. That's later.
1: Oh, Okay. Thank you.
0: After that, the Arthurian legends pop up all over the place and were translated into all sorts of languages, including Hebrew and Norse. Really?
1: Yeah. Norse, I can see. They love a good saga where everything dies. But Hebrew is surprising.
0: Isn't it? Yeah. Mallory's Arthur was written in prose, which seems normal to us, but it was quite odd for the time because you think Canterbury Tales was written in verse. Yes. So, yeah, most of the previous stories of Arthur were in rhyme. And Mallory's version was the only one to incorporate all the different Arthurian, Arthurian stories into one narrative and to put them in chronological order, which is probably why this is the version that's come down to us, because it's in a sort of handy bite-size Yes.
1: So, piece. really, this is the very first fantasy book, then?
0: I don't know. I was just thinking about the travels of Sir John Mallory, no, Sir John M- Mandeville.
1: I was going to say, really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mandeville, yeah, because his it was meant to be a travel book, but he hadn't been anywhere. In fact, oh. I don't think Mandeville actually existed. I think it was a pseudonym of somebody oh. who just sat down at his desk one day and wrote the travel book. <laughs> okay. And that's the one with all the people, all the people with the with their faces in their chest, uh, and the ones with the big feet that put it yeah. over their heads as a
1: sunshade. And yes, all of those kinds, Yeah, I mean right. that sounds like a fantasy book, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does, and people believed they existed. <laughs>
0: Well, what you you don't know about, why not? I mean, if someone describes a rhinoceros to you and describes a unicorn, which one are you going to believe?
1: Oh, yeah, true.
0: Unicorn seems far more likely. There were two paths the Arthurian legend follows. In the chronicle tradition, which treats Arthur as a real king, he's right in the middle of things. He's a warrior slashing away with the rest of them. In the literary tradition, he's just the king. And he's yes. marginal to the main tales. The knights take over in the narrative, and Arthur is almost a passive figure. Well, quite painfully passive, in fact. And Mallory takes this route. In fact, I was really disappointed by Arthur. Oh, He's the great King Arthur. Yes. He's the one that's going to come back and help us. Yes. But he just seems to be a big nothing. Oh. He did fight with the Roman Emperor Lucius Tiberius... Who, if you're trying to rack your brains, he doesn't actually exist.
1: I was going to say, I don't remember when. No. Is that where people get the idea that he actually was a Roman general that was here?
0: Possibly. But yeah, no, that's, oh, it doesn't exist outside Arthurian legend. And I think okay. it's just to give Arthur a bit of kudos, really. Right. Geoffrey of Monmouth mentions him, this Lucius Tiberius, which of just, he does. <laughs> just shows how much credence we have to give Geoffrey of Monmouth. <laughs> But then Arthur pretty much sinks into the background. He's constantly buffeted by other people's opinions. Really? And people, yeah, people come up to him and say, you should do that, my liege. And he says, oh, oh, okay, I'll do that. And then someone comes up and says, no, 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 you should do this, my liege. Oh, okay, I'll do that. And yeah, he's quite a frustrating character. Yeah, that's really disappointing. <laughs> yeah. When he does make a decision for himself, for instance, when he decides he's going to burn Guinevere for her, adul- her adultery, Oh dear. everyone says, no, you can't do that. So Arthur says, "Oh, oh no, um, right. I won't do that then." <laughs> oh jeez. So he makes life and death decisions, mainly death, based on no evidence whatsoever. <laughs> he says he's basing it on evidence, but it's medieval evidence. In other words, if a, if Knight Number One wins the fight,
1: then Knight Number One is the
0: correct. Yes. Ah. So and if if Knight Number Two wins, then Knight Number One must have been lying because God has spoken. And as a king, it's not just me who thought Arthur was rubbish. <laughs> in fact, when Mordred, his son, who's meant to be the baddie, yeah. t- tells everyone that Arthur is dead and he's now a king, everyone says, great. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, we only had war ar- under Arthur. If you bring us a bit of peace, yeah, quite happy yeah. with you. It's None of this book was what I was expecting at all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the book as a whole. Let's home in on courtly Love and chivalry. So where did this extraordinary idea of courtly love come from? It's an amalgamation of different sources. There's the poetry and philosophy of Muslim Spain, which talked a lot about the ennobling function of beauty and love.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Classical literature, particularly Ovid's The Art of Love. He, he, he meant it as a joke. But oh. um, <laughs> well, it's quite a <laughs> jokey book about how to seduce people, in the, you know, where to go. And
1: <laughs> Have get, you read it? Sure.
0: Make sure you go. Yeah, I have. You go to the games (laughs) and make sure you sit very near the the, the woman next to you. And then yawn and reach your arm (laughs) over the shoulder. (laughs) But the medievals took it seriously and based their rules of love on it.
1: So, oops.
0: Yeah, troubadour ballads, particularly from the south of France. Yes. Yes. Feudalism, because we've got quite a hierarchical situation in it, and Christianity. Even though, despite the constant killing. Yes. By the time we get to the 15th century, there was a cult of chivalry. Orders of knighthood have been set up as an example of chivalry. Order of the Garter, which you would get if you join Patreon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Tudoriferous Patreon, release the beast in you. Uh, had been set up in 1348. And it was probably to make it seem glamorous when the Hundred Years' War and the War of the Roses showed that it was anything but.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: One, one of the reasons for all this was that this was a lawless time right across Europe. There'd been a binge of castle building and each of these castles were filled with young, testosterone-filled lads whose main education would be how to wield a sword.
1: Yes, all the younger sons that we talked about, Mm. (laughs) all the gangs.
0: Castle would have had considerably fewer women, um, especially since a lot of the servants would have been men. So chivalry and courtly love became a way of preventing mayhem.
1: Yes, not that it did.
0: Well, uh, yeah. Well, the idea was these young men embraced this code of honour, which venerated women and put them on a pedestal and definitely didn't rape them.
1: Yes, but only if she was a noblewoman.
0: Oh yeah, she can rape peasants.
1: Oh yeah, they're just peasants, they're nothing, they're chattel. Uh,
0: and the cult of the Virgin Mary did much to help cement this idea. And yeah, as you say, it was especially attracted to younger sons who could gain honour in a way that didn't need property and titles.
1: Yes. They, they could create their own honour. By raping. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I sort of understand, but at the same time, I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> you are so wrong. It's
0: it's baffling. Yes. The rules of courtly love were written out by Andreas Capillanus or Andrew the chaplain, in The Art of Courtly Love, which, which listed 31 rules of courtly behavior. And the ideal state of, of the courtly lover doesn't sound that pleasant to me. It seems like another example of people at this time taking something that should be nice, love, and somehow making themselves miserable about it.
1: Yes, because it's supposed to be with somebody that you cannot obtain. Precisely. So you're pining away, and she's probably mm-hmm. like, please leave me alone. <laughs> I should think so. Oh, t- yes, so tiresome. St- at this point, you're stalking me. <laughs> yes.
0: And, yeah, this time it wasn't even the church making them miserable. They were doing it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the rules for the male lover. As you say, the courtly lover should, be, should place their loved one on an unattainable pedestal. He should consider himself unworthy of her. His desire should remain unsatiated, either physically or emotionally. He should, ideally, be sick with love almost to the point of death. Wow. <laughs> he should be constantly... Afraid of the love being found out by the husband, and he should put up with all his lover's whims and haughtiness and capric- capriciousness, even oh though goodness. he had to make it very clear to her that it was causing him actual physical pain. And this, this, this last one definitely, Guinevere, all over it. She's all whims and capriciousness.
1: <laughs> oh, adultery of the mind.
0: That's the ideal.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez.
0: Yeah, it's easy to see what she
1: gets out of it. Everything.
0: Yeah in, a culture, yeah, in a culture that constantly belittled women, she suddenly holds a position of power. Yes. But I couldn't quite see what was in it for him. I, did, I was thinking about all those powerful male politicians who get caught in brothels and in bondage and things. Oh, dear, that, yes. There's a strange desire for powerful people to humiliate themselves. but. Mm. And I remember that Perkin Warbeck, in his letter to Catherine Gordon, described himself as her slave.
1: So yes. obviously
0: he was buying into the courtly love idea. And it must also be a backlash against a system whereby marriage is a financial transaction rather than an amorous one. Mm. Because medieval marriage was a transaction involving two families, whereas courtly love is just between the two people. Yes.
1: mm.
0: And they were used to living their lives by codes and hierarchies, so (laughs) they just couldn't stop. Yeah. Not everyone was impressed by the idea of courtly love. Erasmus described it as, quote, a mad thing to love, to wax pale, to be made lean, to weep, to flatter, and shamefully to submit thyself unto a stinking harlot <gasps> most I know, most filthy and rotten, to gape and sing all night at her chamber window, to be made to the lure, to be obedient at the beck, not dare to any to do anything except she nod or wag her head, to suffer a foolish woman to reign over thee. To give thyself willingly unto a queen that she might mock, knock, mangle, and spoil thee. Unquote.
1: Why does she have to be the harlot?
0: She's a stinking harlot. Yes,
1: yeah, she's saying
0: no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, I could agree with it. I put all up <laughs> apart from that. But C.S. Lewis described it as a centuries long force compared to which, quote, the Renaissance was a mere ripple on the surface of literature. Unquote. So, there must be something pretty compelling in the idea that it remained popular for so long. Mm -hmm. Some historians have denied that courtly love ever took place outside literature, which may be the case, because I suppose even now, love
1: stories offer an ideal, don't they? Yes, yes, they do, but that does not sound ideal at all. No. (laughs) I don't want to be a part of that, and I would be the one being worshipped. (laughs) No, please, you're giving me the creeps. Go on, (laughs) go away. Yeah,
0: it's difficult to know what the women thought about it.
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: In the the books, they love it. Mm -hmm. But that's the books. That's the ideal situation.
1: It's also a man writing it.
0: Indeed. (laughs) Why courtly love didn't work. You just have to spin too many plates at once. Because it's a mixture of erotic passion and spiritual love. It's elevating and humiliating. The knight is raised up by his love, but he's also meant to place himself in a position of vassal to his lady. It's extramarital and ennobling. <laughs> and it's just plain weird.
1: Yes, it is! <laughs> How did they ever think this could work? I don't know. I don't know. Unless you're a masochist and like the torture? yeah. The whole
0: point is you put yourself in a position of suffering because you've chosen a lady who's unobtainable because she's married.
1: And, and obviously doesn't want you, otherwise it, would be requi- it wouldn't be it would be requited. Or it would be.
0: Well, <laughs> like I don't you know, know. I suppose... All of a
1: sudden it turns into an actual affair.
0: Yes, which I'm sure it did. At least some of the time it had to. Hmm. And however elevating it may have been seen by those buying into the creed, the church didn't agree.
1: No, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Raising adultery into a quasi-religion just didn't do it for them for some reason. (laughs) No. In fact, the Bishop of Paris issued a condemnation on Andreas Capitolanus' book, The Art of Courtly Love. But in the Creed of Courtly Love, it's not adultery that's the sin, it's inconstancy. Because Lancelot is supposedly a good man because he sticks by Guinevere, even when she treats him appallingly and when she's patently in the wrong. In fact, he keeps stressing that he will fight for her, even if she is wrong. And Mallory says that Guinevere had a good end, meaning that she was taken up to heaven, because of her constancy to Lancelot. Despite the fact no. it's not meant to be Lancelot,
1: she's constant to. No. It should be Arthur. That makes no sense whatsoever. I don't get that. I really don't get that. Well, it's a- she's basically committing adultery. How does she go to heaven? Because
0: they stu- it's, we're not really following a Christian creed in this book. We're following a courtly love creed. And within the remit of this, that creed, she's done the right thing. She's stuck with her lover.
1: Oh, I can see why the church is not happy.
0: Oh, I think so. Yes, on, yeah. many, <laughs> on many
1: levels, I think. Yeah. It's amazing they didn't clamp down on it more. No kidding. I'm surprised that one wasn't deemed to be burnt. It was only
0: the very rich and people with time on their hands who could do this, really, isn't it? And they might have a bit too much influence. Hmm. I think Arthur knows in his heart of hearts that Lancelot and Guinevere are having an affair. But as long as no one says anything, everything's fine.
1: Ooh, that's not (laughs) comfortable.
0: Well, their relationship went on for years. Someone worked out that Lancelot is banished by Guinevere for a total of 20 years Hmm. because she... She keeps going off on one and telling him to get out of the country if she thinks he's been taking too much notice of other women. And it's only when someone tells Arthur about the affair that he's forced to act, and that brings down the entire round table. But Mallory's pointing out the disastrous consequences of this affair, and how the participants' inability to be loyal to everyone destroys the whole system. And it only works if people keep dumb. if you talk about it. It's a bit <laughs> like Fight, fight Club. <laughs> if you talk about it, it's... That's this is the first rule of of courtly love. You don't talk about courtly love. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because in Troilus and Cressida, which was written in the fourteenth century, Cressida agrees to sleep with sleep with Troilus, and that's fine according to the morality of the book. She doesn't lose her honor from sleeping with him. She only loses it if he decides to kiss and tell. So it's not what you do; it's how it's portrayed
1: to others. Really, that mm. is wow. I'm really surprised the church is like this is okay.
0: Well, Mort d'Arthur contains four love triangles, all purporting to be based on courtly love. Four? But all really not. If we look at them, we can see how courtly love is meant to work, and how it falls down every time in the book. The first is Uther Pendragon, Igraine, and the Duke of Tintagel. And it is a most unpleasant story. Oh, fantastic. It's the story of Arthur's birth. The tale of Uther, Igraine, and the Duke of Tintagel. King Uther Dragon lusted after Igraine, but she was married to the Duke of Tintagel. Uther consulted Merlin, so early on in the book, Merlin's still here. How was he to get the fair Igraine into bed? Easy, said Merlin. I will magic you into the form of the Duke of Tintagel, and she'll never know the difference. Ew, rape! (laughs) look on your face then. Now it it turned out that on that very night the Duke died and when Igraine was told of this the next morning she thought well that's odd because at the same time that he said to have died riding to my castle he was in bed with me but she thought she'd keep quiet about it. Oh, yeah. But now the Duke that was dead there was nothing to stop King Uther marrying Igraine which he did with unseemly haste. Igraine was getting bigger by the day And eventually, Uther asked her whose baby she was carrying. And she decided to come clean, and she told him the whole story. To which Uther replied, quote, That is the truth, as you say, for it was I myself that came in the likeness, and therefore dismay you not, for I am the father of the child, unquote.
1: And is she supposed to be happy with this revelation?
0: I was about to ask you what your reaction would be to this. I would be so
1: mad. We are done? Ugh. Uh, was she happy? Please tell me she wasn't happy. Quote,
0: Then the Queen made great joy when she knew who was the father of the child. Unquote. Oh, my. And I'm not sure at what point um, Uther broke the news that the price of his little sexual escapade was that he'd promised to give the child to Merlin. And Merlin gave him to Sir Ector, who decided to call the boy Arthur and brought him up.
1: Why did Merlin take... You take the son and then you give him away? Why?
0: Uh, He probably thought he'd have a better home with Sir Ector rather than some sort of crabby old (laughs) (laughs) wizard.
1: (laughs) That makes no sense.
0: So that sort of follows the basic structure of courtly love. The man who wants the woman, even though she's married to somebody else, but this falls down in that the man gets I'm the woman. I'm sorry,
1: that's the basic structure. The man falls in love with the woman, gets himself turned into the woman's husband, has sex with her without her knowing and without her consent. That's well. That's what we're where going it all with.
0: falls down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and also, the, there's a change of personnel. The lover is the king. The cuckold, cuckolded one is his vassal. So, as an introduction of a narrative about chivalry and courtly love, the first thing we see is that Arthur's father was doing neither. So, love triangle number two. The tale of Tristram, is old, and King Mark. The story of Tristram is thought to be of Pictish origin okay. and had been a stand narrative before Mallory incorporated it into Arthurian legends. And Tristram is so called because he's a sorrow-born child, Trist, as his mother died in childbirth. Or, as she said, quote, Ah, my little son, thou hast murdered your mother, unquote. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start. But to leap forward several years, Tristram had been wounded by a poisonous lance, in circumstance I don't need to go into here, and he was taken to Tintagel and Again. put to bed. Yep. Did
1: everybody does this in Tintagel? Is this Tint-
0: continuing? <laughs> Tintagel, Tintag- although, if you, know, you go to Tintagel, you'll find that every shop sells... Camelot stuff (laughs) worse than Glastonbury for that (laughs) after a month he was no better but a woman came to the castle and said that he would never be better unless he went to the land from which the poison came and that was Ireland and he did that because well obviously it makes so much sense and he was incognito because he'd killed the greatest Irish knight so he went by the name of Tramtrist rather than Tristram. Oh
1: wait! So now we're doing the whole Dracula thing, where you spell your name backwards.
0: <laughs> so anyway, he's Tramtrist, and the king's daughter La Belle is old. cured Tristram by searching, searching his wound. There's a touch of Gar- Garfield about this—not the cat, the president.
1: <laughs> I'm sticking the finger in. wiggling <laughs> yes, it about. Sticking your finger in and wiggling it about. <laughs> <laughs> that is a totalis ranking american president's yes, reference do listen to it it's, hilarious. it's not hilarious
0: it's awful yes it's... it's kind of squeamishly <laughs>
1: hilarious mm,
0: poor man
1: yeah
0: anyway she searched his wounds, spotted the poison and she got it out somehow and after that how could they fail but to fall in love and she was the fairest lady in the world so that helped oh yes so all this is set for a match between Tristram and Isolde. Except that while Tristram was in the bath, Isolde's mother had a good look at his sword, and there was a chunk of metal out of it that tallied perfectly with the piece of metal that had been found in that Irish knight's brain pan.
1: <laughs> <Ow>!
0: <laughs> the mother tried to run Tristram through with his own sword while he sat in his bath. But the father understood that Tristram had killed the knight in a fair fight and just asked him to leave. But La Belle Isolde wept bitterly and... Inevitably swooned.
1: Oh, oh, I thought you were gonna say die and have a heartbreak.
0: Tristram moved back to Cornwall and lived with his uncle, King Mark, where he had a fling with the wife of Sir Segwarides. The husband, finding that there had been a strange man in his bed, made his wife tell him who it was, and went out to kill Tristram, but Tristram got the better of him and he was wounded. Then King Mark decided he was going to marry La Belle Isolde and sent Tristram over to Ireland to fetch her. And after many zany adventures, including being washed up on the shores of Camelot, and if Camelot is Winchester, How that was watch? quite, yes, that was a hell of a wave. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's Tintagel, if Camelot's Tintagel, that is on the coast, so it depend, depends where uh, you're going. Okay. <laughs> Tristan arrived back in Cornwall with La Belle old, and she and King Mark were married. But despite that minor obstacle, Sir Tristram used to go daily and nightly to the Queen Isolde, ever when he might. Oh. So, so much for this uh, not satiating your passion.
1: No kidding.
0: Unless they're just very, very keen on Scrabble. But Tristram <laughs> was able to win the day with, with I a brother.
1: Just about <laughs> <out my> tea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One night he was caught in bed with Isolde and taken naked and bound to the king. But Tristan was able to win the day. It's rather ludicrous. With one bounty was free manoeuvre, which I won't bother going into. (laughs) (laughs) He then went to Brittany, where he's in the service of King Howell, and he fell in love with the king's daughter, also annoyingly called Isolde. She's Isolde with the white hands.
1: Well, at least she's not Anne of Brittany. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) And he married her. But on their wedding night, he suddenly remembered the Isolde he'd left back home. And he was dismayed and only kissed and cuddled the white-handed Isolde in deference to the other Isolde.
1: Oh, my goodness. So,
0: what a, what a gentleman.
1: Oh, lovely.
0: And having heard that his name was mud back home for having deserted sort of the Labelle Isolde, he went back to Cornwall, deserting the one he'd just married. Oh, jeez. Anyway, Tristan and Isolde have many other adventures which involve lots of weeping and, spo- and swooning. So, But you get the gist. And it should be the normal courtly love triangle, because the king is being cuckolded by his wife and a vassal, and that's the set pattern. Oh. And yet, in Tristan, we see a very half-hearted lover.
1: No kidding.
0: He strays at least twice. It's meant to be obsessive and ennobling, this this love.
1: Yeah.
0: It seems to be sort of out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Some critics have claimed that Mallory included the story of Tristram just to make Lancelot look good, because not only does Lancelot stay loyal to Guinevere, when Tristram seems to be able to spread his love more freely, doesn't he? But Lancelot stays loyal to Arthur, up to the point when he can't do so anymore, whereas Tristram had different masters in Cornwall, Ireland, England, and Brittany, when he's meant to stay loyal to King Mark. So he falls down on both the courtly love code and the chivalric one. And Isolde is not the archetypal unattainable lover, since she seems very attainable indeed. So, yes. Every day and every night. Many times over. <laughs> and she doesn't have that disdainful demeanour that uh, Guinevere cultivated to perfection. So, love triangle number three <laughs> The tale of Elaine, Lancelot, and Guinevere. Who? Elaine. it reminds me of the graduate when he runs up to the church. (laughs) Elaine! Lancelot stopped over at a castle of an old baron. Quote, So this old baron had a daughter that was called that time the fair maid of Ascalat, and ever she beheld Lancelot wonderfully. And as the book saith, she cast such a love unto Sir Lancelot that she could never withdraw her love wherefore she died. And her name was Elaine LaBlanche, So they are succinct oh. into to the point. <laughs> she loved him so much, she died. Yeah. And then all this was based on a misunderstanding, as all the best rom-coms are. Lancelot was in disguise. So he wore Elaine's sleeve on his helmet to help the subterfuge, because everybody knew that Lancelot didn't wear women's emblems on his helmet. There's quite right. a lot of other... other Knights went into a tournament displaying their ladies' sleeves or handkerchiefs or something. But obviously, Elaine saw to something more than that. Lancelot was nearly killed because he fought with Sir Bors without telling him who he was, and Sir Bors was mortified when he found who had been fighting and whom he just injured. But Lancelot said, No, yeah, that's all right, <laughs> these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> Lancelot took a month, they always take a month to get over their injuries. And all that time, Elaine nursed him with loving devotion, obviously assuming that he'd be so grateful that he'd fall in love with her. And the reason Elaine died was because having nursed Sir Lancelot for all that time, when he was feeling a bit better, he sent her out into the woods to collect medicinal herbs. And while she was gone, he buggered off.
1: Oh, wow.
0: He was brave enough to fight in battles, but not brave enough to tell Elaine that he didn't love her. Wow. And that appeared to be acceptable behaviour, even worthy, according to the book, because by sneaking away, he was showing his loyalty to Guinevere. Ah. However, having, having leapt onto his horse and started to ride off, he burst his wound again and nearly bled to death. And he, <laughs> what made me laugh was he evidently hadn't got very far because Elaine just came out of the woods and found him lying there in his, in his armour with his spear, all ready to fight, but completely unconscious and bleeding profusely. So he she should have just have... <laughs>
1: walked away.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, he must have leapt on his horse, said, come on, and then just thought sort that, of, whoa, I feel a bit faint and killed <laughs> over.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness.
0: And luckily a hermit came along and, quote, put a thing in his nose, unquote, and then Lancelot came round. And although Lancelot tried to buy Elaine off with a £1,000 a year, sadly, as I said, quote, wherefore she died, unquote. And Elaine knew she was going to die, and her father knew she would die. But there was no indication that there could possibly be any alternative. If you lose in love... You're going to die. You die. That's how, that's how it goes. Wow. Okay. Lancelot was very apologetic. And he, and he said he was not the marrying kind. I mean, you can't really blame him. I mean, he's in a very difficult situation. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily for him, she swooned and she was taken away by her ladies. And he was able to make another sneaky getaway. It was a bit more successful, this one. <laughs> Oh, she's gone. Gone. Quick, run.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he went to Winchester, where Arthur was very pleased to see him looking so well. But Guinevere was very angry with him for wearing another woman's sleeve in his helmet and refused to speak to him. So Guinevere, as you probably gather, is quite high maintenance. Yes. Elaine, when she knew her end was nigh, told her father to dress her in her finest robes and put the finest bed covers on the bed. She wrote a letter and told her dad to put it in her hand so she died, so that her hand, hand would sort of clasp it when rigor mortis set in,
1: Ew. so she wouldn't
0: drop it. And then when she was dead, the bed was to be put on the barge and taken along the Thames by just one poor man. And her father did all this, even though it sounds bad. I mean, my yes, it my children said that. I don't think I'd go along with it. No. And the barge ended up in Westminster, where Arthur and Guinevere happened to spot it. And they, they saw the letter in, the, in her hand because nobody rots in Port Arthur.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did they pry it out of her hand?
0: Oh, yes. And Arthur for, some, Arthur, for some reason, decided it should be read out in front of all the knights.
1: Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was
0: a letter to Lancelot telling him that she died for him and that he should bury her. And Lancelot was called for, and the Queen, who's now talking to him, asks him why he didn't do anything to save the girl's life. And he pointed out that she wanted to be his wife or failing that his paramour, and he couldn't have that since one could not dictate where one passions of one heart would, would fall. And apparently Arthur said, mm. That's very true. And I should imagine everyone sort of looked away and sort of shuffled their feet.
1: bit
0: awkward. <laughs> <laughs> then the Queen apologised to Lancelot for maligning him and he said, This is not the first time you have been displeased with me causelessly, but madam, <laughs> ever I must suffer you, unquote. Oh, jeez. So this story sounds like courtly love because the lover's yearning for the unattainable love and being willing to abase herself by becoming a paramour just to attain that love. But it isn't in the strict sense of the code because the personnel's all confused again. We don't have a king and a vassal and a disdainful lover. Lancelot wasn't disdainful. He didn't want her to suffer. He just told her, he said he wasn't available. Right. Yeah, and she was lower born than Lancelot and she hoped to, to attain higher status through dying for love courtly ah. love. Hmm. Now we come to the big one. Lancelot, Guinevere and Arthur. And this is the most famous example of courtly love. So this surely must fit into the template set by Andreas Capitolanus in the art of courtly love.
1: And now that you've said that, I'm guessing it doesn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. So love triangle number four. the tale of lancelot guinevere and arthur and this fits much more into the mould of vassal cuckolding a king while the queen stamps on her lover's dignity which is what we expect <laughs> lancelot stays res- resolutely loyal to guinevere twice rescuing her from being burnt which is nice why was she going to be burnt because as a queen by cuckolding her husband she'd committed
1: high treason but why twice
0: uh, oh, but the first time everyone t- talks Arthur out of it. And then he does it again. <laughs> oh. And Lancelot comes and does a um, squash buckling rescue, pulling around to the back of a horse type thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In Mallory, Arthur couldn't have set up Camelot without Guinevere, since it was Guinevere's dad who had the round table. So she brought the table with her.
1: So just the round table? and is what... she brought a hundred knights oh yeah that makes a difference yeah
0: because there were only 150 of them so she's brought two thirds of them and these knights took the Pentecostal oath which embodied the spirit of chivalry and part of this oath was that you never fight a battle you know is wrong which uh, Lancelot was pretty much boasting that he would be loyal to Guinevere even when she, whether she was right or wrong so ah. so that's the first way in which courtly love and chivalry butt heads By rights, Lancelot should serve God first, and Guinevere second, well, Arthur second, (laughs) Guinevere third, but he doesn't do that. And we know that he's made the wrong decision because God showed him that he defended him by not, not letting him see the Holy Grail, and it was his relationship with Guinevere which put his soul in jeopardy. The relationship also caused him to become a traitor to the king that he'd sworn to follow, and when Arthur was told about the affair, he banished Lancelot back to his own lands, Which turned out very late into the book in the book to be the whole of France was Lancelot's land. Oh, jeez! Yeah,
1: so he was the king of France, basically.
0: Well, he seems so, but he never didn't seem to have been there before. (laughs) It's just right at the end of the book. It said, and he went back to his lands, which was France. Oh, okay. In previous versions, Arthur says that he'd been quite happy for Lancelot and Guinevere to carry on their affair as long as Lancelot stayed with the Knights of the Round Table, because his loyalty was more to the Fellowship than to his marriage. Oh! Arthur seems to have had plenty of encounters of his own, of a less courtly nature, yeah, with women who are always described as passing fair. He sees them, he lays with them, they beget a child, who will later become a Knight of the Round Table. But I think we're used to medieval double standards by now. No kidding. Yeah. Mallory makes it very clear that although Lancelot may have started out as the courtly lover, worshipping his lady from afar, by the end they're just having a common and garden affair. Yeah. And we know it's been consummated because there's a story that Guinevere was captured and her knights wounded by some baddie knight. Lancelot came and saved the day, of course. Because there are a few surprises in Mallory. I mean, you, you always know who's going to win because they're, the, <laughs> they're the name of the chapter. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, Guinevere and the, the wounded knights all kicked down for the night. And later that night, Lancelot climbed in through Guinevere's window, ripping off the bars as he went and injuring his hand. And he and Guinevere disported all night. And he liberally covered the sheets with blood from his hand, which in someone else's house is just plain rude, isn't (laughs) (laughs) it? I mean, yes, all right, they've been taken hostage, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Then at dawn, he sneaked back through the window and the following morning, the baddie knight went to the queen's chamber and noticed that her bed was covered in blood. And he immediately assumed that this must have been one of the wounded knights that had lain with her in her bed. And they all denied it, saying that their wounds were healed. So not they didn't have to wait for the month. I think they were <laughs> healed overnight. <laughs> they berated the baddie knight from a line in the queen's name. But when they saw that her bed was all covered in blood, they thought, "Ah, oh, you that, that is a bit odd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee, just a little. Because mm. they'd been sleeping in the same room. I mean, surely they must have heard something. I, I just imagine them all sort of pulling their shields over their heads, thinking, oh, "For goodness' sake, go to sport <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> we're right here, you know." <laughs> oh, jeez. But that does show that Lancelot and Guinevere were not in a strictly courtly relationship, just a physical one. So, the most famous example of courtly love in all of English literature—it's not so at all, not in Mallory's handling of the story, anyway. Mm. That's disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So now we see what happens when the two ideals of chivalry and courtly love inevitably start to fall apart, and what devastation that can cause. So this is the end of the story. Does Merlin come back? (laughs) No. Oh. (laughs) No, he doesn't. (laughs) That really surprised me. It took me a long time to realise. Hang on. (laughs) He's not here. The Tale of the Destruction of the Fellowship of the Round Table. So a quick run-through to the end of the story. Two knights, Sir Agravain and Sir Mordred, decide to tell Arthur about Lancelot and Guinevere. And they're always set up as the baddies. Mordred is Arthur's own son by, by an incestuous relationship with his sister. Yeah, what is wrong with the... Ugh.
1: That author has
0: problems. I think he was. I think she was his half-sister, but... Yeah, doesn't matter. No, but I didn't really see that they were the baddies because it, I was thinking if you if you know a couple and one of them you discover is having an affair, you've got three choices really. You either have a word with the one who's having the affair and say this isn't on really, or you keep quiet about it, or you tell the injured party. I mean, those are your choices really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And they they chose to tell the injured party. I mean, what makes it bad is he's not doing it for Arthur's sake, but to bring down Lancelot, but... Hmm. But all the other knights tell them, oh, don't do it, we've lived with this for 30 years, <laughs> just just keep quiet. Yeah. Agravain, Mordred and Arthur then set up a sting operation to catch Lancelot and Guinevere in the act. And this is successful, but for the fact that Lancelot kills all the knights bar one as he rushes out of Guinevere's bedroom. So if you're thinking, if you're imagining John Cleese, That's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And Mordred is badly wounded. Arthur decrees that Guinevere should be burnt. And this is where Lancelot makes his swashbuckling rescue and then agrees to hand her over to Arthur on condition that he doesn't burn her. And Lancelot is then banished to his own lands. (laughs) I didn't quite understand his thinking behind this because Arthur, on Sir Gawain's advice, then goes over to France and starts laying waste to great chunks of it. Which is a surprising bit of battleliness for Arthur, since it's not something he's <laughs> done for a while. Because he must be getting on. I mean, if this were, this affair has been going on for 30-odd years, they must still be getting yes. on. Gwaine takes on all of Lancelot's knights, one each day. It's a very, very slow
1: battle. <laughs> no kidding. Well, how many knights does Lancelot have? Are we still talking about the hundreds?
0: I think we're talking about a, year, a year's worth of fighting one-on-one. Wow. One, on one And he's just about to take on Lancelot, who's the last one, when he and Arthur are called back to England with the news that Mordred has announced that Arthur is dead and he's now king, and also that he plans to marry Guinevere.
1: Oh, that's not okay either!
0: <laughs> no, she's his aunt. And his stepmother.
1: Stepmother, Yes.
0: Uh, Keep it in the family. Uh, Arthur and Mordred do battle near Salisbury and all of Arthur's troops are are wiped out, apart from Arthur, of course, Sir Bedivere and Sir Lucan. Arthur then spots Mordred leaning on his sword, surrounded by the corpses of hundreds of men and he does a Richard III, or Richard III might have hoped it would go (laughs) anyway. (laughs) He rushes over and kills Mordred, but he receives a fatal injury in the process.
1: So he kills his own son? Yes. Hmm. This is a lovely family. That's
0: uh, certainly a very nice family, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: You just would love to be invited round for Christmas, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so of and Sir Lucan carry Arthur off the battlefield, but Lucan, Lucan dies when the effort makes all his innards fall out around his feet. Ew! Hmm. He carries on for a bit. I mean, you've got to admire his stamina. <laughs> So Bedivere, on Arthur's instructions, throws Excalibur into the lake and a hand comes out and catches it and takes it down below the water. I was thinking what a wonderful image that is. I mean, we're all sort of used to it because that's the image of the... the, You you take take the sword out of the stone and then throw it back to the hand in the lake. But it is a great image, I thought. Yeah. Then a barge full of shrieking ladies comes out of the mist. (laughs) They're described as shrieking. And Arthur's body is placed on board and it sails away. And Bedivere is left on the edge of the lake, rather poignantly screaming, What about me? You've left me alone here amongst all my enemies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he goes into the forest where he finds a hermit living near Glastonbury, which is quite a long walk from Salisbury. And he he moves in with him. It's all quite a lovely, warm, sunny, happy ending now. Lancelot turns up and he moves in. Then several knights who've been looking for Lancelot turn out, one, turn up one by one and they move in.
1: That poor hermit.
0: Well, he continues to be called a hermit, even though by this point, the you know, hermitage is getting a bit cramped, I think. No kidding.
1: There's at least
0: eight or nine of them living there. And they bury Arthur at the chapel. I don't know where Arthur comes from. Because obviously he's,
1: so he gets carried away and then they bring him back.
0: He just sort of appears at the chapel, at the hermitage. Meanwhile, Guinevere has joined a nunnery and become an abbess. And Lancelot, who's a bishop by this time, (laughs) hears that she's dying and rushes to her side. It's quite filmic, this bit, isn't it? Quite sort of um, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks sort of feel to Mm -hmm. (laughs) it. He's half an hour late. He brings her back to the chapel where he buries her next to Arthur. And then he lies down near her grave. And starves himself to death. It's not all sunshine and roses. No,
1: <laughs> I started wondering. I'm like, that's not happy. <laughs> well, I suppose
0: he's. that's what it's all, the, the, it's all about, isn't it? It's courtly love. He's seen it through right to the end. Mm, some people might think, well, that's how it's meant to be. So that's a quick roundup of events. But yeah, read it, because there's a lot more interesting plot twists than I could put in.
1: That is cause. so
0: odd. Mm. And it shows that the love between Lancelot and Guinevere decimated the round table because all the knights on Arthur's side were killed, apart from Bedivere. Many of the knights on Mordred's side were killed. If they could have loved in a sensible way without committing themselves totally to loyalty to unattainable people, you know, when, I can't help thinking it would have all gone a lot better. <laughs> oh, jeez. Mallory says, quote, Some men say in many parts of England that King Arthur is not dead and had by the will of our Lord Jesus into another place and men say he shall come again and he shall win the Holy Cross, unquote. So that's okay, but I I hope he's a better king than Mallory's portrayal of him. Yes. (laughs) If he's going to come out to help us because frankly he was a washout. Yeah. And I expected the book to be a celebration of chivalry and courtly love, which would have been quite dull, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. probably.
0: <laughs> Mallory's dissection is far more interesting and it gives us more of an insight than if he'd just stated boldly about how this should be and that's how it is. Instead, he says this is how it's said to be but it's impossible and not particularly beneficial. Yeah. So that is the in- story that impressed Henry the Seventh so much that he claimed to be descended from Arthur. Uh,
1: okay. Mm. I'm struggling with that one because Arthur is not that impressive. No. I don't think I would have claimed to be. No, more likely from
0: him. Galahad would have been a better bet. Yeah, Galahad, yeah. Or Bedivere. He seemed all right. (laughs) (laughs) But Arthur, no. No.
1: Real thinking and just dead <laughs> silence.
0: <laughs> so I hope I hope people will read it. It's very readable.
1: It sounds like it. Hmm. But at the same time, I feel like I'd be smacking my head. Like, what are you doing? Yes. You don't have to
0: fight him. Find no. out who he is. Yes. He's probably your friend. They most of them are wandering
1: <laughs> around the forest. <laughs> Why are you all wandering around the forest?
0: And they often come across unaccompanied demoiselles, ladies, wandering oh. around the forests. And the demois- demoiselle will say, and they're always passing fair. They're always, they always say, oh, while you're here, could you just come and help at our castle because we're being besieged by somebody? Or, oh, you know, there's, there's okay. al- they've always got some mission. It's, al- okay. it's almost like a video game that they've been plonked there for you to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> And you got to press triangle when you walk up to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It's quite a weird story. Yeah. But quite fun. But, yeah, I'd miss out the bit in the middle with the holy ground. It's boring. <laughs> 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 Do the first bit and the last bit.
1: Well, that's the episode on Le Monde d'Arthur. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Goodbye. G- goodbye. I just want to yell, like, what What were they thinking? (laughs) Hello
0: editing Lucy here. While I was doing the editing I made a teensy mistakeette when I accidentally downloaded the wrong music. So I'm including it because it made I laugh. King Uther Dragon lusted after Igraine, but she was married to the Duke of Tintagel. Uther consulted Merlin so early on in the book Merlin's still here. How was he to get the fair Igraine into bed? Easy, said Merlin. I will magic you into the form of the Duke of Tintagel, and she'll never know the difference."